Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and with me on the phone is Tom Chartrand from Shoreline Digital Media up in Cape Cod. Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, Art. Happy holidays. Doing just great. Yeah, for the record, we are recording this the day after Thanksgiving 2019, and uh, this was sort of a last-minute podcast. I think we have a good topic today. We're going to talk about the the love-hate relationship that we have with Apple. And it's perfect for the holidays because it's evergreen. It's something that follows us through the ages. So it's an it's an evergreen issue. <laughs> the Thanksgiving turkey is not evergreen, hopefully. But No, no, this is true. Hopefully that's, that's gone for everyone. Yes, yes. I'll talk just a little bit about my history with Apple. Uh, I'd love to hear your historical experience with Apple. And then we'll sort of transition through the years and where we are today and you know the flaws that uh, we run into with some of the Apple products. You know, my relationship with Apple is mostly love. You know, I'd say 60, 40 mm-hmm. love, hate. Um, but I go back, you know, with Apple quite a ways. I, my friend was a teacher, you know, and he had an Apple IIe, which I just thought mm-hmm. was the coolest computer ever. I couldn't afford it back then. They were really expensive and, and I never, right. I was never able to get one myself at that time. And then I started in with the whole Amiga because that was almost like a Mac, but way more affordable. And I rode those things out, especially through the, uh, the video toaster days, but then the toaster. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was a good thing for a while, but really my first Mac, the first Mac that I bought, I think it was a Performa 630. This is like, I would oh, say wow. 1994. And I don't know if okay. you remember Mac Mall, but I used to get these catalogs. I do. I used to get them from Mac Connection. Yeah, there were a whole bunch of Mac resellers, um, mail yes. order, Mac Mall, mm-hmm. Mac Connection. I mean, there were a whole bunch. I can't even remember them all. I, you know, I saw this Performa, they'd just released that line that was the low cost mac line and i bought a performer probably about two grand at, at the time i think and i i had just started a production company and i was using the mac to run my books and it was right maybe just on the cusp of um email and things like that i don't remember exactly but it was right in that period. And I wasn't really doing anything with that Mac other than running my my business. They weren't really capable of, of running a, a suite or anything like that that far back. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on, on that part of the timeline with the Macs. There may have been Macs that people were using for audio. I mean, there were certainly Macs mm-hmm. they were using for desktop publishing. That was sort of the big breakout market for the Mac back then. Because I remember right. my dad was trying to use Macs to do desktop publishing. I, I went from that little Performa and then I, I got into the Media 100 and that ran on a, a Power Mac, I think the uh, the 8100. And like I said, I've been on Macs since that time, since 1994. And, and you know, it's not right. just the Mac. I mean, I got into the first iPhone and I'm on Apple Music and I'm on Apple TV and I'm just in the Apple world. 
Yeah, you're an early adopter. Early adopter, way before it was really cool to be uh, an Apple owner and way before there were Apple stores. And I mean, even I spent some time in a, in a former, you know, lifetime as an Apple reseller. So, you know, I've sort of gone through right. a whole gamut of Mac. That's my little history on Mac. What's, you know, what was your first experience with Mac? Well, mine, mine is sort of a similar timeline. You know, you dabbled with them in college, um, you know, which was the late 80s for me. Um, I started in video production pretty much right away. And in, in my world, it was, it was PC-based. It was computers. And I really didn't get introduced to the Mac until the early, I'd say, 93, 94, when Comcast's, it wasn't Comcast at the time, but it was a local advertising department. It could have been TCI. It could have been AT&T. One of those names changes through the years of cable. But we um, had a technical supervisor that had worked in his previous life on Macs and wanted to integrate that. And we saw that for the first time as part of the stratosphere. I believe it was by Cytex. And, you know, prior to that, we had had uh, the Mickey, we had had a, um, you know, uh, RS-422 tape editing system. And then we moved on to the toaster and went through that. And then we finally got the uh, the Stratosphere, which had a, a 72 gig array that had a, a Mac motherboard running that whole setup. And then I believe it was, it wasn't a Performa, it might've been an 81 or just right around there, um, Power Mac. And that was my first introduction to Macs. So I went from a PC world of what I was doing to that and just jumped in. And, and he was sort of an early adopter in the department. And so every time something new came out, you know, we got the very first iMac, the one that was the Pixar iMac. And that was what we used to do all of our email for work. And we eventually got a G4. And my first personal Mac was a G3, the blue and white G3, which I bought from Promax, I believe was a California reseller. I think I had maybe 50, 56 gigs internal SCSI storage, and I was doing Firewire editing on a Sony TRV900 for side work. And that was my first personal uh, Mac that I had. And, you know, and I think coming from both sides of things, you found with PCs that a lot of, you know, devices and, and firmware and things like that would always be weird because you were always piecing things together. And, and with Macs, things seem to work. But I think the love-hate, you know, I'm probably in the 80-20 side of my love versus hate because I, I've always had to find a workaround. And it's always been easier to find a workaround to make something work on a Mac than it was uh, on the in the PC days. I would agree with that that sentiment. And, and like I said, I'm not... I'm not thinking the grass is any greener on the Windows side. I think quite the opposite. You, right. you couldn't pay me enough to have to work on a Windows machine. And I've had some circumstances where I needed to use Windows. I can't say that I've mm -hmm. owned a lot of Windows boxes, but there was a point in one of my businesses where the accounting system we needed was a multi-user system and it ran on Windows. And I just right. never cared for that experience, never was comfortable in that experience. And even when I ran Windows on my Mac for a couple of apps related to um, the Panasonic Pan Tilt Zoom cameras I use, I never really okay. felt comfortable. So Oh, parallels and all that stuff. Yeah, and I'm not looking to, to make a transition and I'm not looking for answers on the Windows side. I'm not that right. For me, that doesn't work. 
But with no, that being no. said, I think we went from a period of time, especially in, in the early 2000s, where Apple was really a leader in the technology. And they really had their pulse on where things were going. I mean, obviously, the Steve Jobs years and all of that. But absolutely. You know, when they ditched the floppy drive and only went with uh, CD-ROM, like, okay, I was I was okay with that. And, you know, right. when, they, when they ditched um, some of the ports and went with Firewire, like, that was all good. I was, I was on board with all of those changes. It kind of pushed technology. And that, that's where I think things changed and really frustrated the marketplace because they pushed technology in a place where, where we wanted to be as whether it was freelancers or, you know, working in that world. It, it brought the ability to bring more equipment in, to buy more affordable equipment and to integrate into you know, our work lives, the technology that we wanted. And the marketplace was getting so mad at Mac for dictating what I have to use because they would change things. They would pull Firewire out 400 for 800, 800 for Thunderbolt. And, you know, they made those changes instead of the marketplace being able to really adopt some of those. But for a while, I think it was easy for us because it pushed us to be able to do more work and to be able to do more things. Right. Well, I mean, like you just look at some of their technology, like Firewire was really a game changer. It was a groundbreaking technology. Oh, yeah. It didn't get adopted, you know, in mass. But I mean, for video mm -hmm. professionals, it was a game changer. And I think some of that innovation has declined. Apple hasn't really innovated as much as they were in the early 2000s. No, you're absolutely right. And one one thing that I thought of was that I had met you through work with Panasonic and some of those early days of the P2 development and the cameras and technology where they integrated such a strong partnership with partner developers, other companies that would make third-party devices that would work really well, whether it was lens adapters to go with the Panasonic cameras. And I, I think that Apple, in its push to lower the amount of real estate they're using, make the smallest, thinnest, fastest computers, they have pushed people out and have pushed the responsibility of the pro user onto third-party developers to make things work. And I think that was a sea change in how Apple and the Macintosh changed from becoming innovators and becoming pro-market friendly to just being more of a commodity and a seller and a and, and and something like that. You know, I think they've always relied on third parties to to really go pro. I mean, if you mm -hmm. go even going back to like the Media 100, like all of those pro video systems, I mean even Avid, I mean, right? They were just using the Mac as the host interface and there was all kinds of hardware right and software that was developed by third parties to make that go. I think there was more of a developer relationship in those days with Apple and those companies to make those products, right. where I think today maybe that relationship isn't as strong. I think Apple is, some people will say Apple's more focused on selling phones sure. and, and uh, you know headphones than they are on right. the pro market. And I think that is, that's really the heart of the problem, I think, for many people, pros, especially video pros in the space now, 
is that they don't know where right. Apple's intentions are with the uh, you know the Macs and the, and the software and, and things like that. I look back at that 2013 Mac Pro that came out, and that was the first you know yes. refresh of the of the Pro line in in a, quite a while. I don't have the timeline exactly of how many years it was since the you know the G5 towers, and then when it went to the right. trash can. Uh, in 2013, but that machine was, well, I'll just say that machine was a disappointment. It was expensive. Absolutely. It had, it, you know, we didn't know it at the time. It had limitations in thermal processing and heat dissipation, and it just right. didn't deliver the performance that I was hoping for. I mean, I bought it. I bought it on day one. And you right. know, if you told me that it was going to, you know, perform and increase the speeds and, and this and that, that was good enough for me because I, I did have and I still have a certain amount of trust in Apple. I would say right. that that machine was a disappointment for me and an expensive disappointment. It wasn't like it was just a $3,000 laptop. I mean, that was probably exactly that was probably and I think I bought it at a demo price and it was still like $12,000. So that machine never really never lived up to its potential. Right. And it and it continued a trend like a decade long trend in sort of closing the box to developers and users where in the early days we could slot cards in there, we could change out RAM, we could do a lot of things and they slowly over the years sort of closed off access to the laptops and you know the original mac pro you could do anything with and with that trash can you then needed to have a cable going to a third-party box to be able to integrate other things into it you know and so that i think was a disappointment as well that machine was not thought out well for a pro user even in the ability just to rack mount it or put it into a professional edit suite or a truck or something it just wasn't well designed it was round i mean at least the other ones would stand up on their own exactly <laughs> and you could you know you, could, you had to have a hole in a rack that you could stick it into oh, just yeah. to place it there <laughs> let's talk about the new mac pro for a minute but let's let's even back it up a little bit so you know mm -hmm. going back to the release of final cut pro 10 now i'm a final cut pro 10 fan i've been on it literally from its inception i like it i i am all in on final cut pro 10. there's a lot of right. you know for me a lot of advantages and i know you you're on final cut pro 10 and absolutely it took me a refresh to get into it it took me basically one whole generation from the 10.0 through 10.1 since from the time they would enable dual monitors i think that's when i said okay they're starting to make it more user-friendly in all the different ways when apple dropped final cut 10 and you know that was right that was around the time of i mean the trash can came after final cut pro 10 but but i think that was the downward right. the big downward trend in apple and the pro video user absolutely and they were so hyper focused on the on the the commercial side of things the you know the imacs the phones anything that could go to the not pro marketplace what that was their focus and everyone started thinking okay that's it for apple and the pro market and then they came out with the right. the trash can in 13 and then you know that wasn't it wasn't a huge success and i get it like the mm -hmm. the pro market for apple was never about 
big, big numbers, but it was certainly a right. high visibility market for Apple. And I thought they had sort of walked away from that a bit. And again, I wasn't looking to change. I mean, I tried, honestly, I tried going to Premiere. It just has never done it for me. The interface, it just, it doesn't work for me. I don't know why. And and Avid, no, absolutely Avid was too much of a learning curve, I felt, for me. And so I adopted 10. But then Apple started, um, uh, I think it was with Future Media Concepts, they started a conference called the Final Cut mm -hmm. Summit. And I went to the first one out right. in LA and we went to uh, Cupertino and we met the development team and it did change my outlook on where Apple wanted to go with the pro space. And I, I they said, acknowledged it. Yeah. And I, I, I said to you after that event, I said, you got to come to this next year because it's, you know, it's right. at least a direct path to the Final Cut Pro development team and you get to you know hear from them and i think they're on the right track and that was i think what i needed to hear from apple about you know a commitment to the pro space but we were still lacking pro hardware you know the right. imac pro came out again i don't remember the exact year of the imac pro I think it was 2017 and and I I jumped on right after you and that's still my main machine right now as far as my my home studio. Yeah, 2017. And and I I so I bought that Mac Pro and that that was a good that's a and I'm still using my Mac Pro cuz really there's been nothing else, right? Since 2017. Mm -hmm, exactly. But it was an improvement on the trash can, but it wasn't it still wasn't the perfect machine we're we're limited with ports i i like thunderbolt right. i like the idea of thunderbolt mm -hmm. but i need more ports more buses more connectivity and you know this is that love hate thing okay here they gave us a great 5k screen they gave us some mm -hmm. speed but then you know we're using adapters and dongles and everything to you know make it all fit into our our world and it's the same thing with the laptops i mean when they went from the laptop oh. with the uh the ethernet built in to the machine it only had the thunderbolt three usb-c ports i mean that was right. like a kick in the in the jewels it was it was all in the name of screen real estate making the finished laptop and it was all for marketing there was no thought put forward as to what's going to make it easier for the users. It was, we've got the smallest, fastest, thinnest laptop out there. And that was the only thing. So you got to make do with it. And when I use that machine on the road, that, that MacBook Pro, I mean, I have to carry literally a bag of adapters. Exactly. And not only, not only, it, like, it, not only one of each, like I need like three of each. Because inadvertently, <laughs> someone else is going to be missing one that you need to, you know, make your workflow work. So I literally have a bag full of uh, adapters, which is just insanity. But there never is and there never will be the perfect machine for what you need. There's There will always be something missing. There will never be enough room. You'll always want to have a small, fast, workable laptop. And, you know, that's what it is. Everything's gotten smaller, faster, better. 
And it's all about workarounds. And for me, it, it really goes back to that realization in the Panasonic days where you just you have to make do with other things and make them work as best you can. So it's incumbent upon the user to do the research, find the machine that's right for you, find all the peripherals that are going to be right for your workflow, and not spend all the time being mad, but it's about how do you make it work? Because technology is always going to change faster than you're able to adapt. That's true. And that, that's that's advice uh, well heeded. And, and like I said, I'm not looking to change my relationship right. with no, Apple. Same. I'm just sort of venting my frustrations sure. at the at the situation. And that brings us to, you know, the Mac Pro. And they've talked about this machine for like two years now. It's coming, right, right. it's coming, and they revealed it. And it's still not for sale as of this uh, podcast recording, but it's on the cusp of being for sale. And we've we've seen specs, we've seen the new monitor. Mm -hmm. What is your feeling on that machine? I, I, I want to say it's overkill for a lot of what I do. Now, it's I'm sure it's going to be a groundbreaking, wonderful machine. But as far as my world right now, I'm not doing anything beyond the 4K side of things. And so I'm and I'm doing a lot of travel production for a few different production companies. And so I'm looking at staying small and having portability. So my eyes right now are on the, the newest 16-inch MacBook Pro with the the new processor, a lot of RAM, a great graphics chip. So I'm not even really focusing on that until maybe it's proven its way that they it proved that they've proven that they've really put the pro user in mind. So I'm I'm going to be in a in a hurry up and wait situation. Hurry up because I'm excited to see where they're going with it. But it's gonna it will be a wait situation. And that that's interesting. And and you know for me. I am also, mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily going to go out and place an order on day one unless they show me that there's some significant uh, performance gains to be had with this machine. I, I, but what do, you what do you think about the concept that they've come up with for this machine? Do you like, do you like the thought process that they went through to make this machine for the pros? I, I do like the thought process because I think it's something that you can work with in a rack system. I think it's configurable, but there are so many different elements to it. I'm just not sure where they're going yet. You know, there's a lot that's not known. It does seem like it's a little bit more open and easier to work with than the trash can was that there, but it's also at a price point that will be cost prohibitive to a lot of users. And, and I think this is the the quandary for many people, I, let's just, you know, in social mm -hmm. media, there's a lot of opinions on this. I think that right. the machine was built, designed and built for professionals. It has the expansion. It has the horsepower, we right. hope. It has the configurable options that we need, including lots of RAM and lots of GPU. And I like what they've done. That comes at a cost. I'm not ignorant to that absolutely that process if you want to make something mm -hmm. that's um made for professional use there's going to be a cost for it so i am not right I, I think they're on the right track with this machine the price point is a to be determined and this is what another frustration for me sure. 
because here we come to the end of 2019. I may need to purchase equipment before the end of the year. And I can't, (laughs) I can't even plan. I have no idea what the price is going to be. I don't know what, you know, the time frame is going to be other than they say it's going to ship. Or I think that, what are they saying? They say it's going to be available for sale in December. In December, right. And that could be Christmas time. Who knows? It could be, and that's too late to make a fiscal decision for 2019. Well, again, if if I could buy it- It might be. It might be, but we don't know. So there's a lot of frustration there. Like, I just want to know, I want to plan. I want to know what the options are, how much I'm going to need to, to expect to pay for such a machine. But I do, right. I do like, with all that being said, I like the display. I like the stand. I like that it rotates and it's got all this, um, you know, engineering put into it so you can turn it. And I like the fact that it's optional. Some people are freaking out. It's $1,000 and it should come right. with the monitor. Right. But you know what? If I was using this on a DIT cart, I would not want the stand because I have stands already on my cart. I have these, uh, you know, exactly. spring-loaded stands that I spent a fortune for, way more than $1,000. So right. I, I right. get it like, hey, I like that. Don't include it, don't make me pay for that. But in my in my edit suite, in my office, I definitely want those stands. That's where you want it. Yeah, and I think that that's what's so hopeful. I mean, you're hopeful that it's something as innovative as the first iMac was, and you're hopeful that they're not going to let the pro user down, and it seems like they've actually listened and taken their time and designed something right, but it's still that that anticipation and waiting for confirmation that's the toughest part. Right, and, and so what I'm looking at before I purchase, what I need to know is the right. speed gains, the workflow performance mm-hmm. gains that I will expect from this machine. If this will speed up rendering by 35%, that's mm-hmm. a win for me, right? That 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 is something that I can... That goes back to a prior podcast with you talking about new equipment purchases and speed, speed, speed was what was your priority. Right. Because, because I, there's only, there's only so much in features that you know is oh okay it's like a nice screen or whatever if it if it's not making my workflow faster it becomes hard to justify so what i'm hoping for is a at least a 35 percent increase in rendering uh Mm -hmm. I, i think that it's it's possible especially if you can put it with a lot of uh, GPUs and now again you have to weigh that cost. What is the cost of that right. speed gain? If that system is twenty five thousand dollars, I have to weigh that against you know what it's going to uh, allow me to do in terms of more productivity over that you know maybe a two year period or three year period if whatever you're going to amortize it against. I was going to say, if you got two years to make it work and it's a pro, it's a, a piece of equipment that can be upgraded and added to, and I mean, that's really what everybody wants is something that's going to be there for a good long-term part of time and not just, uh, you know, fade into obsolescence over a very short period. That's true. And I, I think it, I think this machine will be 
I think it will be expandable and upgradable and, you know, I am interested in it and I am frustrated that I can't buy it yet or at least know what the price exactly. is. Exactly. But that's part of the eternal frustration is that we think this is going to be the one, you know, and that's that's part of the love and the hate for Apple. Right. And like I said, going back to that Final Cut Summit and getting to talk to some of the hardware uh-huh. engineering people and the software people. And, and you know, Apple is, is a complicated company. You know, the Final Cut development team is not just working yes. on Final Cut and the hardware team is not just working on Apple Pro hardware. But it's all integrated into the Apple ecosystem. And so I do believe that Apple wants to make a pro machine that makes the pros happy. They're serious about the pro market. So that does right. make me feel better about you know where we are in, in the universe. It's the Steve Jobs secrecy yeah, exactly. philosophy that's frustrating, I think, for many. If we knew the roadmap, you know, if we knew what the exactly. roadmap was but for I... five years out, it would be a little easier to to plan. But I know that that's not probably not going to be a reality. No, but you know, they have absolutely shown a little more face in that range. Last year they had their pro apps team out there for a Q&A and that was sort of unheard of to be able to talk to the people that are actually developing these apps. So it seems like they've got their ear to the pro community and and want you know, want to make it happy and they acknowledge that that it wasn't the priority that it once had been and that they want to make it that again. So that's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. I don't know if we've resolved any uh, issues with our love-hate for Apple. I think we're going to have to wait and see (laughs) what happens with this Mac Pro, but I know that I'm waiting anxiously. And uh, I don't know about the 16-inch laptop. I'm on the fence of whether I'm going to pull the trigger right away on it. I may wait a little bit. I've I've got so many laptops that I just bought. I think so. Yeah. And it, it, it's read really well. And, and I'm my laptop is the one that was maxed out at 16 gigs of RAM. So I think I'm about there where I want to have a faster road machine where I found a lot of my editing. I was editing a piece in 4K on the road the other day on a USB-C SSD, and it was just hammering along slowly, you know, so I'm ready to get that the next SSD that's a Thunderbolt 3 and a faster road machine. And I think it'll make a lot of what I do on the road a lot easier. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. We'll wait and see. Maybe on our next podcast, the machine will be announced uh, with specs and pricing, or maybe it'll be available for sale. No one really knows, but exactly. Tom, I want to thank you for uh, calling in and uh, venting with me on uh, Apple. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, and let's hope that Apple Claws comes through for us all this year. Yes, thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. It would be even better if you could add something to the conversation. Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, A reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.